Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Couch, where we sit back and talk about video games, board games, card games, and the like. So pull up a chair, put your feet up, and let's have a good time. So, hey, hello. Uh, I'm pretty sure you noticed just now that the opening kind of changed a little bit, the music's gone. Uh, I, I want to try it without the music. There's, I'm looking online, like the royalty-free stuff, and there's just licensings and stuff like that and honestly i just want to do this for the fun i don't like i'm not looking to spend money on a lot of different things especially for like a 10 second clip of opening music so i mean hey if you've been listening for a while or if you've listened for previous episodes and you like it and you want the music back let me know and i'll just go ahead and change it but right now for me personally it's not kind of like what i'm looking at uh so that's out of the way yay 50th episode. I'm actually excited. I am genuinely excited. Made it this long. I've done 50 of these episodes of me just talking into a mic to anyone who would listen. And I, I do I do have a good time doing it. It is fun. It's enjoyable. I get a lot on my mind and I get to share it. And I was looking at the episodes. I figured this is a monumental occasion. So I was looking at some of the episodes and I saw like in the beginning I had double digits. There was a couple episodes that had a lot of views. And then over time they started to dwindle out. Like after the whole D&D talk, things started to dwindle down. Uh I'm not sure. It odds are it's probably just the way I've started doing content, I guess. Like I started doing less scripted stuff, more off the cuff, which I do like doing, but it shows in the numbers that maybe that's not the way I should be doing it. So I'm gonna be doing some changes, you know, going forward. I wanna look at a few things, maybe get some numbers back. Again, I don't want this to be like a huge big thing. I'm not looking to make money off of this or anything else. I'm looking for this just to be a fun little hobby I do once a week. That's really it. So yeah, make some changes, see where it goes, keep an eye on a few numbers, do some scripted stuff again, things like that. You know, I'm also looking at doing some more, like, scheduling stuff. Like, I know top fives and top tens are, like, a big thing, and everyone's doing it on YouTube and stuff like that, but I, I see the appeal to it. So maybe, like, once a month, the last episode of a month, the last Sunday of the month, I do something like that. You know, a top list. I know... The very beginning of season one was a lot of, like, I picked three games to talk about that were similar. So maybe, like, start bringing that back. Like, have a more of a focus of, like, you know, the top five games for this reason or, you know, ten games about this. Just something like that. You know, get a little more of a schedule in there, a little more something to, like, look forward to at the end of the month. Something like that. So these are all thoughts kind of I'm putting out now that I've reached 50. And also, I completely fucking missed it. I should have done something special a couple weeks ago because I was looking through the data again. I'm like, oh, yeah, June 10th of last year was my first episode. So uh, I missed my one-year anniversary, so fuck me for screwing that up. I was teaching. Regents were coming around for the high school, so I was, like, really focusing on that, like, wrapping things up with the kids and grading and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of missed that. So I want to say uh, this being the 50th episode and now that summer just started and I have the time, like, this will be my celebration of one year. It's a little late. But eh. So with this whole celebration, you know, it's 50th episode. I'm going to do some changes, looking at things, some scheduling stuff differently, things like that. I actually got the Twitter set up. I know I was saying that in the previous episodes about doing Twitter. Uh, ran into one or two problems trying to make the Twitter because I've never used it. So ran into one or two bumps. But uh, smooth sailing now. The icon's the same that I have on Anchor, the same icon I have on Twitter. So you'll see the similarities it's same name gaming couch podcast if you're looking for tweeting at us tweeting at me actually i should say it's at g underscore c underscore podcast gaming couch podcast was too long game couch podcast was too long and everything else is taken so again 
uppercase G underscore C underscore podcast. Just spell it normally. All right. I'll add it to the bio on like Anchor, which is then shared with other things so you can see it. And I'll just like drop tweets here and there about like various little things. Maybe I'll do like 30 second clips of uh, the episode on Saturday. Be like, oh, hey, here's the episode coming up tomorrow. Like a 30 second sneak peek about, you know, a highlight of this and like that. I'm getting excited. Like there's there's parts are coming together now that I have like last summer. So I'm just kind of talking history right here. Like don't I apologize. I'm just talking history real quick. You know, last summer I started this up because I had a summer of nothing to do. So I had the time I was writing scripts. I was exploring this. I was seeing if I would like it, things like that. And like I said, it was it was good. The numbers were good and everything. And then when the school year hit and I'm like, I'm just gonna, I want to keep this going. But I was tired from work and I started devoting focus elsewhere. You know, things were changing and I, I saw that in the numbers. So I'm like, you know what? This summer, it's going to be revived. I want to go back to... Some old styles. I want to go back to some other ways that had some good numbers because I knew people were enjoying that. That's what I saw. People were enjoying it. So I want to bring that back. And now with Twitter, hopefully I reach out to more people. I mean, if people stop listening a while ago, odds are they won't hear this episode. Eh, still, I'm putting it out there. You know, and now with Twitter, maybe get a little more attention, get out to more people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and just re- kind of revive this whole thing and revive why I'm doing it for myself personally. And, yeah, I mean, that's really the, just the big thing is just reviving it for myself because I feel if I get, you know, the fire under my butt again and getting that energy back now that I have the summer to focus more attention on it, I can get the ball rolling again and keep it rolling throughout the school year while I'm teaching so I don't – not like – how do I put this? Like sidetrack. Kind of like I put it on the side. It's on the sidelines. That's a better word. Put it on the sidelines that it's not as focused on as it was in the – past like the past summer so i want to keep it going i want to have a strong start the summer and keep that going so yeah the big change i got the twitter set up g underscore c underscore podcast it's gaming couch podcast on twitter i still got the email so i'll have that on the bio uh, of anchor just going back having not all scripted not 100 scripted it was bullet points like, it was just like this is stuff i want to talk about it's like going back to just focusing on a few key things from there and then, yeah, do, like, a special end-of-month episode that's a theme thing, you know, like top fives or some sort of, like, there, there's a focus at the end of every month. That's not just, you know, topic of the day sort of thing. There's some focus there that I follow up with. So, yeah, that's just – that's the plan. You know, that's the thought that I have. That's the plan. So any of you who have been watching for a lengthy time, be it five episodes, ten episodes, hell, if you've been listening since episode one, you know, I appreciate it. I know there's not a lot of you out there, which is totally fine, and I appreciate you sticking with me and listening so we can kind of enjoy this together. We just see the change that's been happening. So now I got the Twitter. I know email isn't really a big thing. I just wanted to have it anyway. Uh, yeah, feel free to yell at me on Twitter, you know, things you like, things you don't like, changes, feedback, whatever. Feel, feel free to throw it at me. Uh, I'm actually going to tweet, you know, the day before the episode goes up just to get used to it <laughs> and then just stay on top of it yada 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 so uh let's just let's just move forward into the topic of today the, the episode for today and speaking of just memories and stuff like that i know i was talking about some different thoughts some different ideas for the episode today however i i settled on one that wasn't spoken about I know last week I'm like, hey, I did a review on Cadence of Hyrule. Hey, would it be cool if I did a review on some sort of game console? 
But then I thought more about it. I'm like, why do one on just a console when instead I can do on what made me start playing games? Because that is something we forget at times. Like, why are we still playing games? You know, what, what made us start in the beginning? What got us hooked and all that good stuff? So I actually want to take that time today to make that kind of the focus, the topic of discussion is, well, why do we start playing video games? And I'm not talking about, like, breaking down what makes a good game. No, 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 not that. Just my, what I'll talk about, my first time with video games. You know, like that first year or so of playing games and what really got me into playing those games. What got me so hooked into this awesome world of video gaming and card games and all that kind of stuff. And kind of roll with that theme for like the next episode or two. Uh, something along the lines of just this connection that you get and things like that. So, yeah, let's just fucking just jump right in. Rewind way back to when I was a young little idiot <laughs> living upstate in New York. Uh, I was like four years old, five years old. I was very young at the time. And I remember clearly the first console we had. First console we ever got was a Sega Genesis. I remember my mom picked it up, not so much for me, but also for my sisters, because I have two older sisters. Now, back then, it's not so much nowadays, like a big thing, but back then, those movie tie-in games, you know, Disney was a big thing back then in the 1990s. Huge player. And movies like Aladdin... Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, stuff like that were, were pretty big. A lot of people liked them. And again, me having two older sisters, of course, they're interested in like, the princessy stuff. And me being a young little idiot kid, I mean, Disney movies were animated and they were for kids. So my mom found it as a great way to kind of like bring the family together was everyone watched Disney movies. So with all these tie-in games starting to go in, like the Lion King game, the Aladdin game, stuff like that, she picked up a Genesis and... We got a small library of games right away, and I remember playing a little bit of Aladdin, having no idea what the fuck I was doing. I remember playing a, a little bit of The Lion King and making some progress on it. Uh, not too much, but I kind of remember that. So I think at the time it was supposed to be for everybody. But it was quickly shown that my sisters did not care for it, even with like any Disney tie-in games or like the Bernstein Bears. Remember we had a Bernstein Bears game? My sisters did not take to it. Me, on the other hand, <laughs> I got fucking glued to it. I remember when we first got it for a bit, we had one of those really old, larger kind of tube TVs. And I'm not talking like the giant ones that came like later into like late 90s into like 2000. I'm talking about the ones you see from like the 80s and the 70s where it was the brown box kind of thing. I remember that was sitting on the floor. We didn't have a stand for it yet. It was sitting on the floor uh, by the front door to the house. And I had Sega Genesis and it got hooked up. And I sat down, and the first game that really hooked me was Double Dragon Battletoads, the crossover between Double Dragon and Battletoads. Oh! Oh, that game was just amazing. And I remember first popping it in and started playing it. I just kept playing it. I just kept playing it. I just kept playing it that day. Like, I just would not stop playing it that first time I popped it in for quite a bit of time. It... It was fun. It was, it was the beat-em-up. Like, I was enjoying this fantastic world that was made. Like, oh, I'm in space on this giant spaceship as a toad. 
and I'm just punching a bunch of guys in a space suit. I just I loved it. Like I, I loved the partial silliness of it, but also the the fantastic view of it because Disney was yeah all magical and fancy and stuff like that. It just wasn't my cup of tea in terms of fantasy. It was supposed to be like oh love stories and stuff like that. You know, like that heartwarming family lesson. I wasn't interested in that kind of fantasy. I was interested in just the fantastic stuff of being the hero and beating the crap out of the villain. Got my attention greatly. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we had that. And then eventually we got a new TV. We got a TV set and everything. And things got moved around the living room. And I remember when that change happened, we struggled to get the Sega Genesis to hook up. Because if you don't remember, the Sega Genesis, it actually ties into the, uh, what was it, the aux port? No, no, not the aux port. Fuck me. The thing where the cable goes in, so if you remember that from long ago, where you had to use a cord that you screwed into the TV to get your cable. I mean, a lot of stuff is now done like online and wirelessly, so a lot of TVs don't have that jack anymore. But back then, we had that, and we had to be on Channel 3 or Channel 4 to play the thing. So when we got the new TV, we were trying to figure out how to hook it up properly, how to get the channels to work, you know, go on the right channel. It was a bit of a hiccup, but I spent some time just kind of like, Tearing it apart, not tearing it apart physically, but tearing it apart like, okay, let's try this, let's do that, like all that problem solving, figuring out what could be done, how could we fix it, yada, yada, yada. And then we did, we got it up and running. And so I immediately went back in and started playing Double Dragon Battletoads, just having fun, making it to like level two every single time. I could never make it past level two or level three. If I was lucky, I got to level three. And I remember uh, the boss of level three, this big, burly, jacked motherfucker with a giant machine gun, and pretty much all he did was just shoot this line of bullets that you could duck under, but his attacks were so quick that you had very little time to approach him, and every time he fired, he would move to the, the recoil and push him back to the other side of the screen, so you had to constantly walk up to him, but if you were quick enough when you got to him, he had this melee attack that he would hit you and launch you to the other side of the screen away from him, so it was really hard, you could pretty much only get like one hit in a time, and you had to be quick about it, I remember that guy always beating me every single goddamn time. And eventually, I got the idea. I'm like, yo, buddy, how about you come in? Like, one of my friends up the block, I'm like, why don't you come in? Let's play this. Because they were getting into games, too. And I wanted to show them this game that I loved. And I figured, with co-op, we can do this. It'll be awesome. Well, yeah, I was an idiot. We were both idiots because we never played Battletoads or Double Dragon before. So we didn't know that Friendly Fire was a thing. So we immediately started playing. And I remember running up to a bad guy to punch him. And my buddy came up to join me. And immediately, he started punching me. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you punching me? He's like, I, I don't, I didn't mean to. I wasn't trying to do that. And then, like, we started trying to be like, what the hell's going on? And that's when we stood there after the beating the enemy, and we kind of stood there. We took turns just gently punching each other and watching our health go down. We're like, oh shit, we could, we could hurt each other. Oh, oh damn, this is what. And now we were like being self conscious. I'm like, I'm gonna go to the bottom of the screen. You go to the top of the screen, and we would say separated to ensure we would hit each other. And then we got to the boss of the third area with the machine gun. And promptly got killed. And eventually, time and time again, after plenty of trying, I eventually beat him and got to the fourth stage where you go outside the rat ship on that little, your own little spaceship, your own little pod to shoot at the enemies. And without using cheat codes, I'm talking without using cheat codes, even to this day of me playing that game, I could never get past that fourth level without cheat codes. So yeah, holy shit. So why on earth would my first experience be a hard as fuck game when I'm like five years old? And I stick with it. I think it was part of the challenge. It was kind of intriguing. Like, I always wanted to find out what was next. What was next? What was next? What was next? Like, I always wanted to know what was in store for me down the road. You know, it's kind of the 
the joy of that day with those hard games was just that progress. And so the next game that we got that really got me hooked was Rocket Knight Adventures. And that still stands as like top five, top three all-time games for me is Rocket Knight Adventures on the Sega Genesis. Playing as a little little opossum spockster with a Rocket Knight with his jetpack and his sword, just going around beating the crap out of pigs to save the kingdom. Such a simple premise, and I loved it. It, it combined a bit of the fighting style that was Double Dragon Battletoads, where you're beating up enemies, but the combat was simpler. Instead of trying to do, like, punch combos where you hit the button a number of times to do a combo, you pick up items like the... I remember that game, the second level, those these, these very tall robots that would just kick you with their legs. And if you beat those robots, sometimes their legs would fall, and you could use that as, like, a stick, like a weapon. So Rocket Knight didn't have that. It just had the slash attack where you could hit enemies and the sword, like a sword beam would fly out and then you could do the rocket dash which would do some decent melee damage and when you hit an enemy you would then do the spin which for like the vehicles in level 1 would do a lot of damage to them and take them down real quick. So the combat was easier for me to understand. I think that's part of what got me hooked. And then there was a platforming. That was my first real taste of a platforming game was Rocket Knight and I, I kind of enjoyed it. Like Instead of me just going from left to right it was me going left to right, up and down, and jumping over pits of fire hanging from the trees. I remember level three. I should no, technically, sorry, it was level two. Yeah, level two, my apologies. Where you get to the waterfalls, and there's those platforms you can jump on that would bring you behind the waterfall in front of it, depending on where you were. And the mini-boss that showed up immediately after that, you had to use that to your advantage, where you could only hit his tail, and he would occasionally go behind the waterfall and then come back in front. So you think, where's the best place to stand? Because if he's behind the waterfall, he can't hit me, but I can't hit him, and vice versa, and stuff like that. So that started to get me into thinking more about my gaming experience in terms of not just go to left or right, punch the guys. Like, beat them up games are fun. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Castle Crashes of Death. It's Again, it's one of my favorite games, especially when you have friends. It's a great game. But Rocket Knight got me thinking. It, it made me have to ponder more about what was going on what did i have to do things like that and it still had the challenge of battletoads it wasn't as hard i made it further in that game and i've beaten it a number of times now on normal never beaten it on hard i don't know if i'm going to do that because holy shit is it hard but it felt good like, it was it was nice as a kid making some progress on it and then revisiting it later when I, as i got older to actually beat the game it was really enjoyable so that was starting to kind of give me an idea of where I wanted to be in terms of like the gaming community was looking at those platformers. Like, platformers was big now in that time. Mario had come out, you had Super Mario 64, things like that. Platformers were big, but Rocket Knight was, got me intrigued by it. And Rocket Knight is that perfect level of fantasy in my eyes. Like, it's a fantasy world. You're fighting, you're fighting sentient pigs. You're an opossum. There's castles and stuff like that, but there's also mechanical bits to it. So you got the Peaceful Kingdom that is in the middle of a lush valley with trees, and the enemy of these pigs from this giant mechanized city, essentially. I I digged it. I was like, mm, there's some good right there. There's some real good right there. So now, the following events after that, that kickstarted everything for gaming for me, is a little blurry, because I remember getting an N64 and having Super Mario 64, and I also remember getting a PlayStation. But I can't remember which one honestly came first. Frankly, it doesn't matter, because I know what had a bigger 
impact on me in terms of games. So first off, I gotta say, I was blessed. I was really lucky. For whatever reason, my mom was totally cool with buying all these consoles. So we still had the Genesis, which I played every now and then, but not too often, because how hard the games were, I didn't touch them that often. But I really wanted to play more games, because again, Rocket Knight really wet my whistle and got me interested in gaming in general. Like, call it a hobby, community, whatever you want to call it. It got me in on it. So I guess that's kind of why she was okay buying the N64 and the PlayStation. It was like starting to see a little bit more of like, okay, what else might my kid be interested in? Because this is something he really enjoys. So she bought me another console. Now again, I can't remember which console came first. And I know I got both because I got the one and then my friend had the other. And I'm like, yo, this is really cool. I want to get this. So she bought the other one. So I had three consoles as a kid. I had the Genesis, which eventually kind of got put in the back. And the PlayStation and the N64. So I had those three. But when the PlayStation and the N64 came around, the Genesis kind of got put to the back of the closet. We played Micro Machines on it every now and then, but it was barely touched. Because I started to learn the joy of actually completing games. By the time the N64 and PlayStation came around, hard games still existed, but the technology got a little further that you had memory. You were able to save your game on either a memory card for the PlayStation or just right on the cartridge through N64. So I remember Super Mario 64 being a big one, and I played that a bit, but I got really annoyed at times with the way Mario controlled because it was one of the first big-name 3D games. There were others around the time, but that was like the first big name that brought 3D polygons with a 3D environment and 3D movement into the big screen. So trying to control Mario with the camera was a little challenging for me, and I got frustrated at times. I remember a number of times of like dying because I couldn't get the camera to move the right way or Mario didn't jump the way I wanted him to and things like that, and I would get, I would get frustrated. So... It took me a while to beat that game, but when I beat that game, I was like, okay, cool. I just put it down. I didn't really care to complete it 100% at the time when I was a kid. So that's why it doesn't have as large an impact on me as Crash Bandicoot does. Now, is this a coincidence that I'm talking about this the same time CTR Nitro Fueled came out in the past week or two? Uh, no, it's not a coincidence because I was playing CTR and it started making me thinking about being a kid. Like It re- was reminding me about what I really enjoyed playing games long ago. So... Here come these memories, and here comes the episode. Now, Crash Bandicoot Warped was my first taste of Crash Bandicoot. And it kind of had everything for me. It had those lush 3D environments that Mario had. But because it was more linear in terms of going through the worlds, that sometimes you'd walk, you know, deep like, into the screen, like, in the first level when you go into the village, so then you're that you're heading towards this castle in the distance, but then there are other times, like, the underwater levels where you're swimming left to right. So it was more linear, so I didn't have to worry about janky cameras and stuff like that. I could focus more on just controlling Crash, and the camera would do its own thing. So for me as a kid, not having that coordination with my hands and my eyeballs to manage multiple things at a time, Crash Bandicoot was nice for me. Because I got to focus on just controlling Crash. Who controlled very well in Warped? He controlled very well in Crash Bandicoot Warped. So we had that. We kind of had the bonus of Mario, just the look of it with all the 3D environments. But we also had kind of the simplicity, a little bit of Rocket Knight in my mind. You know, in terms of attacks, very basic attacks. The spin, the slide, and the jump with the belly flop. All right, so combat was very simple, and you just had to hit enemies once to kill them. Just like in Rocket Knight, the exception of the bosses. So there, I'm, I'm like drawing parallels here in my mind about just the draw. So 
things in Crash Bandicoot please me. I can save the game, which is great, so I can save it and come back later, which is fantastic. And it's also broken up in an easy-to-understand way. You know, Mario had this great castle to explore, which, again, at the time, with how simple my mind was, eh, it worked at times, but sometimes I got annoyed about, like, what the hell should I do now? Crash Bandicoot is just, boom, here's the first five levels, go. Here's the next five levels, go. Here's the next five levels, go. Since I was able to kind of understand it better, and I was really enjoying just the platforming of it, the environments of it, the concept of time travel, and the fact that the villains made sense to me. Like, Bowser made sense. Bowser was a presence in the game. You fought him multiple times. But unless you, like, talk to the toads kind of sprinkled around the castle, which, again, I didn't because as a young kid I wasn't much for exploration, I didn't get a feel for really what was going on in terms of just the world. It was my first experience with Mario. Super Mario 64 was my first experience with it, and it was good. I don't care how it sounds. It was good, and I still appreciate the game to this day, and I go back and play the game. I 100% completed it a couple times. I do enjoy it. So since Mario didn't get much out of me because my mind just wasn't there for it, Crash, since every warp, warp area, you would have Cortex kind of show up and talk about something, whether it was just the previous boss you just defeated or some other little snippet about what you're doing, and then the boss of that zone talking to you. I was really intrigued. I'm like, oh, that guy? I can't wait to fight that guy. What's he all about? What am I going to have to do to fight him? Like, I started to get intrigued by each zone's boss. And, you know, Tiny I really enjoyed. I, was, I found it kind of funny when I first fought him. But then Dingle Dial showed up and just, I lo- like, to the day, Dingle Dial is my boy. If you talk Crash Bandicoot, I'm telling you, Dingle Dial is the best. Fucking love Dingle Dial. The accent, the concept behind him, half Dingo, half Crocodile. He has that napalm flamethrower-like device. It, it's just so good. Okay, so before I go and fanboy over that, Crash Bandicoot Warped was actually the first game I 100% presented. Like, I completed all the way. I wanted to get everything. Because I could easily understand what I had to do for everything, I wanted to get everything. I got all the crystals, and I went back and started getting all the gems. And then I discovered the relics. I'm like, let me start getting more relics. I remember when I got first time I got the first five relics of a playthrough, and that platform shows up in the middle that brings you down to the hidden warp from underneath. I'm like, oh, there's more! Like that, that reinforcement of getting more rewards based on getting more things. Like the gems obviously did that with unlocking the colored gem paths, but having a whole other warp room, this whole other area to explore just blew my mind out of the water. So I'm like, I gotta go. I gotta do this. And I started just doing everything I could to just 100% complete this game and get everything. Oh, so good times. I remember the feeling, the first time of 100% completing it and getting that special cutscene at the end. I just kind of like sat back and I was like, this is how it feels to beat a game. Like I've beaten, you know, Super Mario before, but now 100% of it. Like this is what it feels like to fully complete a game all the way through and see everything the game has to offer. And then not much time later, I discovered that that was the third game because Crash Bandicoot Warped is not called Crash Bandicoot 3 Warped. Even though the 3 is shown kind of in the title, on the clock, the hands point to 3 and it's red. Again, I was an idiot kid and I didn't realize that number was 3. And so I remember being in school and talking to a friend of mine about the game. I'm like, oh shit, this game's so good. You gotta like... I was just gushing over it. He's like, bro, I know about that game. I have that game. I'm like, oh, you do? Awesome. He's like, yeah, 
There's two games that come before it. I'm like, what? That immediately got like my full attention. I'm like, wait, there's two other games? He's like, yeah, there are. Crash Bandicoot 2 and Crash Bandicoot. I was like, I need to play these games now. So immediately, that was it. Every time we went to Target or anywhere else that sold video, like any, any super like department store that sold games, I would book it right over to that area, the electronics area, and scavenge ourselves looking for any sign of Crash Bandicoot 2 or Crash Bandicoot. And at the time, Crash Bandicoot was getting a little bit older because I, I came in for Crash Bandicoot Warped and I was in a little bit of, late of its cycle. And I finally found Crash Bandicoot 2. And I was like, we got to get this game. We got to get this game. We got to get this game. So my mom, you know, my mom bought it. Like at that time, I had my PlayStation games came down to Spyro and Crash. Okay. But Crash was like, I said, that Spyro followed suit after Crash. Crash got me interested in everything. And then because of Crash, I learned about Spyro. So Spyro was great. And I have a lot of good memories of Spyro. But I'm just going to focus on Crash because that's everything I say about Spyro, I can say very similar to Crash. The wind 100% completed. I learned the rules quickly and everything. And I preferred the controls in terms of motion in Spyro over. Uh, Mario. That's really the only main thing with Spyro. Just, I prefer the controls over it. So, there, there's my highlight of Spyro. <laughs> with my memories of Spyro. Alright, so Crash. I got the second one, and the second game actually also taught me something very important, and that was how memory cards work. So, when I got Crash 2, I played it for a bit, and then I went to save it, and it said there was like some issue, and I'm like, oh, okay, it can't be that big of a deal. And so I turned the console off, I came back the next day, and I realized all the progress I made after the first warp room was gone. I'm like, what? Huh? Wait, what? I was really upset. I'm like, but I, but I did all this already. Why do I have to do it again? You know, I, I had the console. I, I, my, in my mind, the idea was I made progress. I should be where I left off. Like, that's what happened in Crash Bandicoot 3. I didn't fully understand saving mechanics fully with a memory card because the N64, the games were saved on the cartridge, not on an external device. So I didn't know how it worked at the time. So I remember, in order to beat Crash 2 for the first time, I would play it for a bit, and like, let's say I had to go out. Like, my mom's like, oh, we have to, we have to go out now, we have to go shopping, whatever. I'm like, oh, but I don't want to. Because I was, I was trying to beat the game in one sitting. I didn't want to turn the console up. I had to beat it in one go. So I remember the, that day, my mom's like, no, we gotta go. I'm like, ah, fine. And I just... Pause the game, and I left it. As I was heading upstairs out of the basement to start, you know, leaving, I was watching the TV. I'm like, is it, is it still there? Is, is it still there? Is it, is it still on? And we left, and I came back, and immediately I ran in, and I'm like, is it? Okay, it's still on. Good. And I was like, why'd you leave it on? I'm like, oh, because it won't save, so I had to leave it on. Then she's like, okay, whatever. Like, she didn't understand. She, her and I didn't understand. So I went back and kept playing, and I finally beat it. And then later, you know, I was looking at it, and I kept saying something about the memory card. I'm like, memory card? Memory card? And so I was talking to some friends, and I discovered I could access the memory card by not having a game or in the console or having the disk tray open. So I did that, and I accessed my memory card, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, each of those little blocks represents you know, the save data. Oh, there's no open block. That's why I can't save the game. So I had some games at the time. Like, I had Gex 3 Enter the Gecko, which I really enjoyed. I didn't understand any of the jokes, but I really enjoyed it. And I had a couple other, like, random games. I remember I had Croc Legend of Gobos, which I was I had the same problems I had Super Mario, it was like the controls were worse than Mario. Like I really got pissed off with the controls of Croc before I finally beat it. 
so I started like deleting just some of these random games I had, and I finally had like memory space, and then I saved my Crash Bandicoot data for Crash Bandicoot 2. And I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it feels so good. It feels so good. You know, now I can actually save it, turn off the console, and come back later and actually 100% this game. So yeah, Crash, you know, Crash kind of got me into series. I, it, it's what really got me into watching certain companies, watching certain game franchises and stuff like that, and wanting to continue the legacy. Like, okay, I played Crash 3, I played Crash 2, and then eventually, one day on sale, it was used or something like that, I saw it on the shelf at Target, was Crash Bandicoot 1, and I picked it up immediately. And this is around the time like where we were moving into the GameCube. You know, the PlayStation we still had, but it, it was time for GameCube right now. And so I swiped the game off the shelf and ran to my mom. I'm like, we need to buy this. And I just walked to the register. I'm like, I didn't even wait for her to really say anything. I'm like, we're buying this. I need this game right now. <laughs> like, that's the first time I put my foot down. Like, this is being bought. No negotiations. And then, oh, my God, Crash Bandicoot ripped me apart. The first game, which I'm sure a lot of you know, was just hard as fuck. Trying to get the gems, trying to complete level 100% was get all the boxes without dying. So safe to say... I did not 100% complete Crash Bandicoot until a couple of years ago when the Ancient Trilogy was coming out. I was like, I actually need to 100% this game. I've never done it before. So I buckled down and I did it and it felt good. You know? So from that, I got the Spyro Trilogy, played through all three games to 100%. Like, I wouldn't stop playing until I played the game 100%. And that got instilled in me. When I got a new game, that was the game I played until I beat it. Granted, if I got like a multiplayer game like Smash Bros or Mario Tennis or something else that had some multiplayer capabilities and my friends were around and we weren't outside in the woods, I'd be like, okay, let's play this for a little bit. You know, I'd play some other games for multiplayer purposes, but in terms of like my downtime, I had to beat the game before I played anything else. It did not matter. And I got into this rut and it wasn't negative. It was like kind of positive. As I picked up each game, it was to the final completion. Like, I got my time out of it. It was well spent because of that mindset. And it helped out in life, too. I'm not going to lie. Like, it was a mindset I had in life, too, from games and just homework, tests, stuff like that. Like, no, I got to complete this. Like, I can't leave anything blank. This has to be done to the best I can do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when, you know, Banjo-Kazooie, I was the same way. I'm going to get everything, even though it was a real headache at times. I'm going to do this. When I got Luigi's Mansion, I had the same mindset. Paper Mario Thousand Year Door was the first game after I had this mindset of, like, completing, like, to its fullest extent. Well, it was the first game that I didn't because it was my first taste of big-name RPG, like a lengthy narrative, multiple chapters, leveling up. Like, that's the first taste I had of something that big. Like, I messed around with Final Fantasy before on uh, PlayStation 1. It was Final Fantasy 8. But it just, it was too much for me. Like, for my small mind, I enjoyed it at times. Don't get me wrong. Like, I would pop it in every now and then and play it. But I got to, like, disc 2, and then some real bad shit went down in the desert. One guy was dead. One guy was petrified. The other guy was on death's door, and I just couldn't finish it, and I was lost. And, oh, that's the end of that. And now for some reason, I can't even save the game. Like, there's something corrupted. I'm not allowed to save the game at all, which sucks, because I so this mindset got set in to complete, and then Paper Mario Thousand Year Door came along, and I got through most of it, 
I actually failed my first playthrough. I couldn't beat the Dark Queen. And it felt strange as a kid. Because I'm like, what? I always beat the final boss. I always complete the game fully. What? I can't do this right now? What the hell? And so what I did is I'm like, all right, fuck it. I wiped the data. I started over. I went back from square one. And I played through the entire fucking thing again. And I thought to myself, I'm like, now I know what to do. It's kind of like when you play, you know, one of those really hard games. You know, like Dark Souls, Enter the Gungan, any, anything that's, like, punishing that we have in today's world. Like, roguelike games that really punish you. I just said, I know what to do, and I'm going to do this. You know, I picked up the controller. I'm like, okay, I know what's coming in the next chapter. I know what I have to do. I know where this badge is. Hell, that I, I started looking up the guides. Like, I would, whenever we got to the mall, I'd go to GameStop and flip through the Thousand-Year Door guide to, like, locate certain things and then go back and do it. And then eventually, like, I sat with the internet and I discovered game FAQs and did the same thing. I'm like, I've got to locate all this stuff. And, you know, that's, that's pretty much all there is to it, really, in, in terms of just my experiences with games and me getting into games i really got to tip my hat to rocket knight and crash bandicoot because it's it's just anything i'll say i can talk about any game but i will find a way to tie it back to those two series for just teaching me a lot with how games should be played and how games should be made and really just what i enjoy you know, I still like RPGs. I play D&D, but in terms of like a video game, what captivates me more is picking up a game that is a really fun platformer over an RPG. Like, it's really hard for me to find an RPG that I will sit down and stick with, even though I like leveling up mechanics and stuff like that. Those two games did that for me. They said, hey, this is how you make a platformer. This is how you make combat that can be picked up by anybody but also show progression i remember like rock and knight eventually the enemies they started having guns i remember the blimp where i'm so used to the pigs running at me and now suddenly on the blimp these guys are running at me with these little bazookas and shooting bullets i mean like yeah i haven't with some of the bosses but in terms of, like the this rando enemies i never saw rando enemies doing that so now what do i do like i learned from previous bosses about dodging the bullets and finding out the patterns and i learned what these guys did and use that against them as the common enemies you know crash bandicoot just progression of getting new equipment. You know, or Rocket Knight would change patterns. Crash would give you new abilities to use, like the super spin, the double jump. Like, okay, now how do you use that in a level? You know, how effective can you use that to get over this new obstacle or finish up this bonus round or go back and get the gem that you missed in a previous level? Just that sense of figuring things out, you know, based on, on new gear. Like, that's... RPGs do that at times, you know. Here's a key. Where's the key go? You know, Legend of Zelda does that. Now you got a small key. Backtrack to the dungeon, or you got the dungeon item. Now go back, and what are you going to find? You know, I I beat Crash before I beat Legend of Zelda, and I think, in a way, it helped me because Crash eased me in to backtracking, going back to previous areas, going back to previous levels because I have something new that could be used to overcome this obstacle. Whether it's just a new way of tackling it or you actually have access to it now thanks to, you know, the key in Legend of Zelda or the double jumping crash. And yeah, it, it's what I look at all the time now. 
you know, if I'm playing again as exploration, I go back, I'm like, okay, what's over here? Can I do this yet? No, I can't do this. All right, I'm pinning it. And every time I progress, I level up, or I get something new, I'm going back. I'm going to look at it. And just that perseverance of not letting the game beat me, it was, that was Rocket Knight. You know, I, I kept revisiting it every now and then until I finally got to the end. Like, yeah, I beat it on easy mode first. Sue me. I beat it on easy mode first, and it felt really good. Like, it took a couple of years. I'm like, yeah, that, I'm not going to let a game beat me. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to see this through, especially if I like the game. And then I beat it on, and then I went through it and tried doing it on normal. And same thing happened. It took me a bit, quite some time, but I got through it on normal. So all the games I pick up now, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I, I is what we're dealing with. I, fuck you. We're gonna do this. I, I'm gonna. I'm going to overcome this. Like I don't care if it takes a while. I, took, I finally picked up Dark Souls. It took me a while to get through Dark Souls. Like I remember trying it in college when it first came out, and my friend showed me it, and I played it just a little bit. I'm like, nah, fuck this. I ain't doing this. You know, I. I really wasn't. I, I did not care. It was completely new to me. The way it was set up, the way the rules worked, the mechanics, and everything. I just wasn't feeling it. So I'm like, nah, fuck this. And then years later, you know, here I am, adult. I'm teaching kids in high school, and I'm on Xbox Live, and it says, free Xbox Gold, Dark Souls. And I looked at it, and I was like, you know what? I was an idiot back in college. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to download this. I'm going to beat this. I get that mindset from Rocket Knight. I'm not going to let this game get to me. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to clean it up. So, uh, yeah, that's just kind of like my, my history. You know, a snapshot of what went through my mind, what got me this far, honestly. I, I am this far because of those games. I'm doing what I know. Like, I, I spent a year, I made up a class at my high school, made a curriculum for it, and I taught kids, like, this, this is what a video game is. This is how you make a video game. And, well, they did. They made one. I would have never done that. I would never had the opportunity to show kids what it takes to make a game, even a basic one, if it wasn't for those times long ago, sitting in the living room playing Rockin' Night Adventures and then hooking up the PlayStation downstairs because it was the only, I only used it. My family didn't. So I hooked it up downstairs. It was just my console. You know, if Crash and Spyro weren't there to show me this show me everything about gaming, I would have never been here teaching these kids this. I would have never been here talking to all of you or, you know, figuring out how the fuck to use Twitter and all this because of those games. So, yeah, it pulls on the heartstrings a little bit. I get, I'm getting a little emotional. I'm getting a little choked up. <laughs> really, though, honestly, like, it's, it kind of feels good to talk about. Like sometimes, you know, you have a job for 20 years and... You forget, like, why am I here? You know, why, why, why did I do this in the first place? Or they say about, you know, sometimes you have to fall in love again, you know, with your spouse. And you reignite that spark of, like, oh, yeah, that's, that's why I love them. Like, that was what piqued my interest in the beginning. It's good to revisit that every now and then, you know, in terms of gaming, in terms of love, in terms of your career, in terms of life in general. Just like, oh, yeah, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm here. That's why I care. That's why I'm learning this. All that good stuff. And you know what? Sometimes it ties back to when you were an idiot kid. Because honestly, the beautiful part about being a stupid, idiotic child 
is that you know so little about the world. And that's kind of why you're stupid. Like you don't understand anything. You're trying to figure things out. You're trying to explore. You're trying to figure something out. So when you finally do figure out something and fully understand it, that's kind of where your interests go. Like that's what defines you. Like my, my dad loved trains and he had a lot of trains. And so I got into trains and I got into Legos and going outside. My friends and I would hike and stuff like that. But the first thing I fully really understand and I really grasped was how to beat a game, how to play a video game and beat it, how to be smarter than the computer. That was the first thing I really understood as an idiot kid. When I didn't understand how anything else worked, you know, I'm learning stuff in school, but in reality, in terms of the world, I knew nothing. The first thing I knew was games. And so now, you know, you're into games. What, what game taught you it? What game hooked you? What game that showed you as an idiot kid, right, that's what matters. That's what makes sense. And you know what? If you got into gaming later and you were older and you actually understood more about the world, well, I'm glad you figured it out. I'm glad you, you found this great little thing we call gaming. Even if you came in late, it doesn't fucking matter. You're here. That's what matters. You're here. You're enjoying it. So, yeah. Happy 50th episode, everybody. If you've been a long-time listener, again, thank you. And hopefully you celebrate with me going, woo, at home. Yeah, that's really all the energy I got right now. Look, man, I'm on summer break. It's coming up on the weekend. It's hot out. I'm just chilling. So, yeah, we have a new revived gaming couch this summer. Going to revive the podcast, bring it back to some old ways in terms of, like, energy. You know, thinking about what made me start this, I want to go back to that and with a new coat of paint. So, yeah, the email's still the same, gamingcouchpodcast at gmail.com if you want to email me anything. I got the Twitter is going to be up and running. I'm going to add it to the bio on Anchor. So it's G underscore C underscore podcast, capital G, capital C, capital P. And that's it. The schedule will stay the same, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Honestly, I'm, I'm liking it. I, I kind of prefer it overdoing the late night releases. So I'm going to stick with this. 5 p.m. is a thing. And we're going to keep the intro just simple as it is because, honestly, I just want to get into the meat potatoes of just what we're discussing. So there's all the updates. Thanks again for listening. And we're officially in year two of Gaming Couch. And goddamn, we're going to make it a fucking awesome year. So take care, everybody. I'll see you next time.